Welcome to Chill's Podcast, a podcast where we talk about the paranormal, true crime, conspiracies, and anything creepy. I'm your host, Nina Cardona. And I'm Preston Porras. This week, we have four stories for you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Chill's. Upset sports fans usually take out their frustration by blaming referees, players, and sometimes even claiming the game was rigged unfairly. But possibly the most popular conspiracy theory was born at the 1985 NBA draft lottery. Believers claim Commissioner David Stern, who was only a year into the job, purposely fixed the lottery so that the New York Knicks would get the first pick and head to the front of the line to draft big man Patrick Ewing. To give a little context as to how the NBA draft works, at the end of every season, the team with the worst record gets the most envelopes to put in the annual draft lottery. All the envelopes from every team are then put into a giant sphere, shuffled, and selected one by one at random. Oh, kind of like bingo. Exactly. Exactly like bingo. (laughs) The more envelopes you have, the better your chances at getting the top pick and selecting a rookie from a pool of talented college athletes. Before this process was created, if you were one of the two worst teams, your chances at the number one pick were decided by a coin flip. This led to tanking, or losing on purpose so you get better odds at having a high pick. To put a stop to that, the NBA formed the draft lottery. Ultimately, the lottery didn't really prevent tanking. Even today, teams still tank in order to get higher picks. Patrick Ewing a center from Georgetown University, was a -a once-in-a-decade talent. He was able to score, play the post, rebound, and defend. During his four years at Georgetown, he led the team to four NCAA championships, winning one. He was widely regarded as the surefire number one pick in the upcoming NBA draft. That year, seven of the worst teams each had an equal chance at the number one pick. They were the Los Angeles Clippers, Atlanta Hawks, Sacramento Kings, New York Knicks, Indiana Pacers, Seattle Supersonics, and the Golden State Warriors. Each of the seven teams had a 14.3% chance at landing the number one pick and the rights to draft Patrick Ewing. It was widely believed that whichever team was lucky enough to land Ewing would instantly see an increase in ticket sales, playoff runs, and relevance. During that time, the NBA was in a bad spot. It was nowhere near the popularity and fame it has today. Attendance was down, Michael Jordan was still a rookie, and three years earlier, in 1982, the LA Times had published a report that claimed 75% of NBA players were on drugs. To make matters worse, in 1983, the NBA almost had to disband six of its teams. The NBA needed to clean up its image. And what better way to do that than have the biggest rookie sensation in generations land in the biggest media market? Before the draft, the New York Times even published an article saying, There's a strong feeling among league officials and television advertising executives that the NBA will benefit most if Patrick Ewing winds up in a Knicks uniform. Surprise, surprise, that's exactly what happened. But was it pure luck of the draw? Or was the 1985 NBA draft lottery really fixed? 
Some people believe that the draft lottery idea was approved by the NBA's Board of Governors in an unusual amount of time. People thought the idea of having Ewing be the headliner that year made the draft more exciting and lucrative. 1985 also happened to be the first year that the draft would be televised. I should also mention that the league opted for envelopes instead of the ping pong balls they use today because the head of media relations, Bob McIntyre, said, We're afraid of having the thing pop open and all the balls fly out, and therefore make the draft look like a joke on TV. That so, sounds lame. When has that ever happened? I don't think it ever has. So the seven teams I mentioned earlier all had an envelope in the sphere. But how would the man tasked with pulling the winning envelope, Commissioner David Stern, know exactly which one belonged to the Knicks? One of the most popular theories suggests that the Knicks envelope was actually frozen before being brought on stage and placed in the sphere. This would make it stand out among the other six. If you go back and watch the telecast of the draft, you'll see that Stern actually picks up two envelopes. He flips them over and drops the one on top. He opens the envelope in his hand. It's the Knicks. Over the next two hours, the Knicks home stadium, Madison Square Garden, received over 1,000 calls for tickets. David Stern went on to say, We were very pleased with the lottery. The interest was great. People are talking about the lottery instead of drugs, unauthorized franchise moves, or anything else negative. I want to point out that it's weird he brought up that no one was talking about drugs by pointing out that no one was talking about drugs. So it just seems like more people would talk about drugs. What? Another little interesting point, it just so happens that the supposedly unbiased accounting firm running the draft lottery also represented Gulf and Western, the company that owned the New York Knicks. Stan Kasten, the general manager of the Atlanta Hawks at the time, recalled going to a basketball tournament a few weeks before the draft and said, I was sitting with a couple of NBA guys and I remember one high-ranking team executive, who I will not name, was a million percent convinced of what was going to happen. He kept saying, he's going to the Knicks, he's going to the Knicks, it's all arranged. I didn't believe him at the time. No one knows for sure if the 1985 draft was fixed. Scientists have proven that when placed in a freezer, paper doesn't really change temperature and get colder like most things do. Whatever really went down behind the scenes, the New York Knicks really did win the day. Patrick Ewing went on to lead the Knicks to 13 consecutive playoff appearances. He was voted Rookie of the Year, voted to 11 All-Star Games, a member of the famous 1992 Dream Team at the Barcelona Olympics, and probably his greatest achievement all time, in my eyes, one of the athletes who had his talent stolen in Space Jam. Fixed or not, the first draft in NBA history helped lead its comeback in the public eye and make it the popular league it is today. This is a well-known Dallas urban legend. This is the story of the lady at White Rock Lake. White Rock Lake is located in Dallas, Texas. This urban legend has been around for decades, since the 1930s. There are different versions of this urban legend, so I'm going to tell you about the very first encounter ever published. The story goes like this. Imagine it's 1943. You're driving through Dallas in your car. 
You are with your partner, and you are planning your romantic evening. You park by the shore of White Rock Lake. Time is passing by, and you are having an amazing night. You have planned a romantic picnic, and you sit there in your car and just talk for hours. After a while, you realize it's getting late, and it's probably a good idea to head home. You turn your car headlights on, and you're about to leave. But in the moment, something catches your eye. You're not sure what it could be because it's too far away. It seems to be getting closer to you. Finally, you see it. It's a young woman dressed in white. She is walking towards your car. As she is approaching you, you see that she is dripping wet. Confused about the situation, you get out of the car and ask if she needs help. She replies, I'm sorry to intrude and I would never under any circumstances, but I must find a way home immediately. My boat overturned, the others are safe, but I must get home. Concerned about her safety, you tell her of course you will give her a ride home. You open your car door and push the seat forward to let her into the back seat. As she is getting in, she apologizes for getting the seats wet. You tell her not to worry about it and ask her where she lives. She then gives you her address. A few minutes pass and you want to make sure you are going the right way. So you ask her if she knows how to get to your house from your current location. You wait for her to respond but you hear no answer. You turn around and to your surprise, the back seat is empty. You think to yourself, how is that possible? She was in here just a second ago. There is no way she could have left my car without me noticing. So you honestly don't know what to think. How could she just have disappeared? The thing is, you aren't the only one who saw her. Your partner was there with you the whole time. And they are just as confused as you are. What you do see is a puddle of water where she sat. You and your partner decide to go to the address she gave you. Upon arrival, an older man notices you pulling into his driveway, so he meets you at the door. You tell the man everything you have just experienced. With a sad look on his face, he replies, This is a very strange thing. You are the third couple who has come to me with this story. You see, three weeks ago while sailing on White Rock Lake, my daughter drowned. The second account also happened in the 1940s. Guy Malloy was driving home late one night after work. He is driving through Dallas and is passing by White Rock Lake. He sees a young woman on the side of the road who appears to be soaking wet. She looks like she is stranded, so Malloy stops his car and offers his assistance. She claims that she had been at a dance with her boyfriend, and when they were driving home, they were in a car accident. Malloy offers to give the girl a ride and wraps her in his raincoat. They get into the vehicle and she sits in the back seat. 
As they arrive to the address she gave him, he turns around and she is gone. What is left behind is a wet raincoat. So there are different variations of this urban legend. She is either seen wearing a wedding dress, a white prom dress, or a nightgown. It is said that she either died in a boating accident, she took her own life, or that her ex-boyfriend killed her. In this version of the story, it is said that she told him she was going to marry someone else. And in a fit of rage, he drove into the lake with her inside the car. She is always seen soaking wet. She is always polite, apologizing for getting the seats of the car wet. She either disappears before you arrive to her house, or if you do make it to her house, she will run inside. The people that have seen her run inside will go up to the front door of the house, curious about the situation, they want to know what is happening. This is when the owner of the house, which is her father, tells them that his daughter has been dead for several years. When this story was first published, numerous amounts of people claimed to have similar experiences. The story started pouring in. There was an overwhelming amount of people writing in claiming that they had encountered the Lady of White Rock Lake. Many people have seen her and some have even given her a ride. So is the Lady of White Rock Lake really just an urban legend? I'll let you decide. On hauntedrooms.com, you can go on a ghost tour and do your own paranormal investigation. Your ghost hunt at White Rock Lake includes the following. Investigations with the team at White Rock Lake, ghost hunting visual, structured visual, the use of paranormal equipment, private time to explore the location, and to undertake your very own private visuals. The town of Tombstone, Arizona might be one of the most historically rich western towns in America. Hey! Okay, I know you told me Ghost Adventures went there. Like I saw the picture that you were showing me. Yeah. I've seen that episode. It's from 2009. Yeah, I've it's, seen that. It's an old episode. That was a pipsqueak, but I've seen it. Originally founded as a silver mining town, Tombstone has hosted historical events like the longest poker game ever played in the location of the shootout between the Earp brothers and the famous outlaws, the Cowboys. Such an ancient town is sure to have some dark history. One of the most haunted places in town happens to be the Birdcage Theater. This theater opened as a family-friendly attraction, but quickly turned into some place where death is not uncommon. The Birdcage Theater was opened in December of 1881 by Lottie and William Hutchinson. William Hutchinson had come up with the idea to bring a family-friendly theater to Tombstone, after visiting San Francisco and seeing the large crowds theaters brought in. Opening the theater with a ladies' night where women would get in free, the Hutchinsons quickly realized that a family-friendly theater in a rough 1800s mining town wasn't exactly the most profitable thing. They soon changed gears and turned the theater into more of a saloon and a brothel where roughneck, rowdy miners could come and have a drink or meet a lady. Or a fight. Or fight. Over the course of the eight years the theater stayed open, 
26 people died in the establishment from shootouts, stabbings, or suicides. Even to this day, over 140 bullet holes still remain in the theater. Of the 26 deaths, probably the most famous was the murder of a woman nicknamed Margarita. Margarita was a madam at the Birdcage Theater and considered the belle of the birdcage. The belle of the ball. Another madam, named Gold Dollar, worked at the Crystal Palace, a competing brothel in the same town. Gold Dollar had taken note of Margarita after she managed to steal one of Gold Dollar's longest tenured customers, <gasps> Billy Milgreen. Gold Dollar had made her way into the birdcage one night after she knew Billy Milgreen had stopped by to see Margarita. Gold Dollar waited until Margarita made her way onto Milgreen's lap before she ran into the room. Gold Dollar grabbed Margarita by the hair, exposing her chest, and hacked at Margarita's heart with a double-edged stiletto she had in her carter. Oh my god. Realizing what she had done, Gold Dollar ran away to try and avoid justice. She was eventually caught the same night, but mysteriously, the murder weapon was nowhere to be found. The police never charged Gold Dollar with any crime. They believed if there was no murder weapon, then there was no evidence of a crime. Even though Billy Milgreen had seen the whole thing, and other customers in the brothel had heard the screams coming from the room. Margarita's ghost is said to haunt the theater, with many people reporting that they've seen her half-naked ghost. Oh, that's... that's something. That's a sight. Nova Fleury wrote, I saw an apparition of a young woman who opened the curtain. She was between the ages of 18 and 20. She was leaning on the balustrade, and when she looked at the balustrade, she seemed to say that the place was unoccupied and there was no one in the alcoves. She was only wearing a bloomer, so she stood out. Eventually, 10 years later in 1892, the murder weapon was found behind the theater. The stiletto is actually on display today at the theater. Could that be why Margarita's ghost has stuck around? It's attached to the murder relic? Yeah, you're supposed to burn it. If you watch Supernatural, you're supposed to burn it. Another reported specter in the saloon happens to be a performance actor nicknamed the Human Fly. The Human Fly? The actress wore special shoes with clamps that would attach to the ceiling, allowing her to walk around upside down above the patrons below. That's really cool. Unfortunately, during one of her shows, a clamp came loose and the performer <gasps> fell from the ceiling down to the stage, killing her instantly on impact. Oh my gosh. More recently, in the 1980s, a man named William Hunley hosted a seance at the Birdcage Theater. After hearing of the ghosts that haunt the theater, Hunley hired a psychic medium to see if any of the ghosts could be contacted. During the seance, William Hunley began to feel a sensation around his neck like someone was choking him. The sensation grew stronger, and Hunley began to react physically as if there was a person behind him choking him. The worried onlooker saw what was happening and broke the medium out of her trance. As soon as they did, the choking sensation stopped. William Hunley had bruises around his neck for the next six weeks, and to this day, it's unknown which ghost was able to come through and choke William out. Another interesting story I found while researching the Birdcage Theater was that it was home to the longest-running poker game ever recorded. Underneath the theater stage was a poker room. The single game was played 24 hours a day for 8 years, 5 months, and 3 days. Oh my, how? I don't know. Over that 8-year span, a total of $10 million was exchanged. The game featured high-stakes players such as Doc Holliday, Bat Masterson, Diamond Jim Brady, George Hurst, and Adolphus Bush of Bush Brewery. Nothing paranormal there, I just thought it was a crazy story. Today, the Birdcage Theater is open for ghost tours 
and acts as a museum for some of the haunted relics previous patrons have left behind. The structure still stands on its original foundation and even houses some of those 140 plus bullets still stuck in its walls and furniture. If you ever happen to visit the theater and catch a picture of a ghost, as many people have done before, the theater will proudly display your photo on their website. Ooh, we should do that. Yeah. The theater is open year-round, and personally, I think we should take a visit. The next urban legend is also based in Texas. People from across the country have made their way down to San Antonio to have their own ghostly encounter. This story is about the legend of the haunted train tracks in San Antonio. These train tracks are located on the intersection of Via Main and Shane. From what I have read, there are two versions of the story. They both took place around the same time. It was between the 1930s and the 1940s. So let's get into it. One evening after school, a bus driver was driving the school children back home. As they were crossing the train tracks, the bus came to a complete stop. It had stalled out. This is when the bus driver notices a train in the distance coming at full force. Unable to start the bus, the bus driver tries to get all the children out, but there wasn't enough time. The train was too fast for him and ended up killing him and the 10 children. The second version of the story has a lot more detail. A nun was driving her students home after a field trip late one evening. It was getting dark when they were driving over the train tracks, and this is when the bus stalled. The children were worn out from the field trip, so most of them had fallen asleep. Because of this, the nun didn't want to wake them up, so she quietly tried to start the bus, when suddenly a train appears. Unfortunately, the train lights were out, so the nun was not able to spot it beforehand. The nun knew there was not enough time to try to evacuate all the children off of the bus. Hoping that the bus would turn on, she tried to start it one last time. With no success, the train came crashing into the bus. None of the children survived, but miraculously, the nun did. Weeks had passed and the nun was so overwhelmed with grief. She was heartbroken that she was not able to save her children. She couldn't bear the pain of what had happened and she decided to return to the train tracks and take her own life. She parked her car in the train tracks and just sat there and waited for the next train. From the distance, she sees a train coming, when suddenly she hears what sounds like voices of children. The voices sound familiar to her. This is when her car started to slowly move forward as if it was being pushed. As the nun is safely out of the way, the train rushes by. When the train has gone by, she rushes out of her car. She was expecting to see someone. She had thought someone had pushed her out of the way. To her surprise, there was no one in sight. As she is looking at the back of her car, she sees little handprints on the trunk of her car. This is when she realizes that it was her students who had previously passed who had pushed her to safety. Realizing that it's not her time, she decides to dedicate her life to the children. She opened an orphanage and she taught there until the day she died. 
Legend has it that if you park your car in these train tracks, the car will be pushed to safety. Not only that, you will see little handprints on the back of your car. It is said that the children that lost their lives there are the ones that push you to safety. They don't want you to suffer the way they did. Like any ghost story, we have skeptics. So there are many people who want to try the experiment for themselves. There's a thing that they do where a person will put baby powder on the back of their car. This way, if it is the ghost children moving the car, they will have proof of it. They will leave behind tiny handprints. One of the many people who tried this was a woman named Brenda Pacheco. She claims, I put my car in neutral, took my foot off the pedals, and the car moved. It moved quickly towards the tracks, up over the bump, and down the other side, well out of harm's way. I was so excited, I got out to check the back of my car, and there were tiny handprints, plain and clear, and so, so tiny. These prints were so perfect. You could see the lines of the palms and the swirls of the fingerprints. This was another person's encounter at the train tracks. I know many people dispute the legend of the train tracks ghost. However, I was a witness to one of the very disputable events there in my late teens. I once went over in my convertible with my new parakeet in the car. The bird had been chirping happily until we stagged the vehicle for the tracks when suddenly his chirping was completely silenced. It wasn't until we left the area that he began chirping again. Curious by her bird's reaction, she decided to try the baby powder legend for herself. I used the baby powder on my car. I had multiple small handprints, but these handprints did not belong to me, and I had no children anywhere around my car previously, and I was extremely meticulous about the appearance of my car. She then points out, when one washes their car with dish soap, oils from hands are removed, so no prints will remain. If you do end up taking a trip to San Antonio to visit these train tracks, it is common for visitors to bring gifts for the ghost children. The gifts range from toys and flowers to rosaries and crucifixes. The thing is, there are no records of an accident ever occurring on these train tracks. concludes this week's episode of chills thanks for listening if you enjoy our stories make sure to follow us on spotify and leave a review on apple podcast we are still accepting listener stories so if you want to be featured in next week's episode make sure to email us at chillspodcastnp at gmail.com that's chillspodcastnp as in nina and preston thanks for listening everyone we'll see you next week